You are listening to episode 13 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 24, Nihal Orbital, 2352, August 17. I had the day off and I wanted to shop, but I also needed to take Bev with me. I hadn't seen her in weeks to speak to at any length, and I felt the need to touch base with her. It seems hard to believe you can miss somebody who sleeps practically next to you, but I missed her. I set my tablet for 0545, knowing she'd be getting off watch and heading for breakfast or bed. I intended to catch her at one or the other. As it was, I caught her in the passage outside deck berthing, and we arranged to meet at 1300. Pip was out the omelet station at the mess deck and still looked upset. I grabbed some coffee and a plate. Good morning, Philip, I said with a grin. Please, ish, he said, throwing some onion and mushroom in the pan. And talk to me, I said. As much as I'm enjoying this, what in the universe were you thinking? He did a little left-shoulder shrug and didn't look up from the pan. I didn't want to be shunted off to the academy without any say at all, he said. What, they were holding a gun to your head? I asked him. You've met Aunt P and Uncle Q. Mom and Dad are at least as bad. Dad's the bulldozer in the group, and Mom is good at making you like being bulldozed. When you said you came from a trader family, you weren't kidding. Aunt Annie, now this aunt and uncle, any more? Well, not counting the various cousins, there's another aunt on my mother's side, and my father has two sisters. I have an older sister and a younger brother. They all trade? Well, one way or another, he shrugged. My father's older sister is a broker on Sargass Orbital. She handles the import-export end of the trades there. She's not a spacer as such, although she's rated spec 3 ship handler. My big sister's third mate on Dad's new ship, and baby brother is still living at home and standing helm watches. Do all of them have little flying living rooms? What? He looked confused. Oh, the penny. Yeah, actually, that's pretty typical in the smaller ships. The penny's rated at eight metric kilotons. She carries palletized freight and bulk cargo, not like Lois with the containers. The penny has four big holes amidships instead of the spine. How can she turn a profit carrying that little? This whole conversation had taken an odd turn in my brain, and I wasn't sure what direction it was going. Pip slipped the omelet out of the pan and into my plate, and tonged a couple of biscuits on there to keep it company. Well, to begin with, the salaries are low, he grinned, and they're fast as hell. The penny probably only needs seven days to get out of the well here, maybe less depending on how heavy she's running. She can jump to Barris and be back on station here before we could make it out to the Burleson limit. She's under ten metric kilotons, so she only needs a captain and a certified small ship engineer. Aunt P has both of those. Uncle Q has first mate and systems comms papers. Cousin Roger passed some level of engineering papers. I'm not sure what he's rated at these days, but he likes living at home, so they let him stay aboard and help out. They're all academy? I asked, as what he was saying sunk in. Oh, yeah, he said, and followed me out to sit at a table while I ate. The living room? I asked. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't a Berkman-Newman conversational greeting with optional bar just inside the lock. Well, how did you know it was Berkman-Newman? he asked. I sighed. I didn't. It's the only brand I know. Focus, Pip. Well, I told you, that's home. They have a living room and a big eat-in galley. The whole thing isn't as big as the galley here, but they only have to feed a half a dozen people most of the time, if that. Aunt P and Uncle Q share the captain's cabin, of course, and that's almost as big as the one here. The kids share the staterooms. There's no birthing area at all to speak of. It was so... homey. Ish. It is home. What did you expect it to be? I shrugged. I don't know. A, a little Lois, I guess, but is that the kind of ship you grew up on? Oh, yeah, the Bad Penny and the Epiphany are sister ships. Almost identical, he said. We even sailed the same route sometimes. It was a big treat to trade rooms with a cousin. I flew on the Penny a lot as a kid, actually. What? You'd swap kids? 
Basically, he said, it was great fun to run a leg with Aunt P and Uncle Q. I don't know why, just different, I guess. Selena Mateo came in for breakfast, and Pip got up to fix her an omelet. They both came to sit with me. Morning-ish, she said. You're up early, too, I see. Pip and I went out to dinner, I said. Ran into his aunt and uncle for a drink and came back early, I said, expecting to get a rise out of Selena. Pip looked embarrassed. Selena only said, how nice. She turned to Pip and asked, did you expect to find them here, or was it just coincidence? Coincidence, he said. They run an indie on the triangle trade around the Omber Barris Nile route. Oh, how pleasant that must be for them, she said. Well, they like it. Put my cousins through the academy, he told her, still a little put out that I'd mentioned it. The surrealness of the conversation was making me feel very off balance. This wasn't the view of the lonely spacer that I'd formed since coming aboard. Selena was nodding. I kind of wish I'd gone when I had a chance, but with Roberto and the kids, it made more sense to specialize in astrogation. Roberto and the kids, I asked, feeling my universe slip just that little bit further off axis. Yeah, she said, smiling and tucking into her omelet. Roberto, my husband. We have two kids. You have a husband and two kids, I asked stupidly. She shrugged. Yep, married into the family business. His father thought I was after his money, but I really only wanted his tight little buns. She winked salaciously. I almost choked on my coffee. What business, Pip asked. Oh, the family runs the Barca Roja. It's a 30 kilotonner over the New Caledonian Quadrant. Family co-op, Pip asked. Yep, she said proudly. Isn't that hard, I asked. What, running the Barca Roja, she asked. No, being away from your family, I said. Oh, Berto and I see each other a couple times a year. We've been married a long time. She smiled fondly, but the reunions are something special, let me tell you. She winked again. Jennifer Agato, a machinist from the power section, came in then, and Pip went to fix her some breakfast. I'm sorry if I'm seeming particularly stupid this morning, Selena, I said. Meeting Pip's aunt and uncle and visiting the ship, I don't know, it was so different than what I expected. She smiled. You're a land rat, aren't you? You don't come from a spacer family. Yeah, that's right. Mom was a university professor. We lived on Neris almost all my life. She chuckled. So you expected their ship to be like this? I shrugged. Well, I had nothing else to go on. Well, the Lois is pretty typical for a big corporate carrier, she said, but there's ten indies for every ship like the Lois. So why are you here when you could be with your husband and the kids on the Barca Roja? I needed some space, she said. Working for the family can be a little claustrophobic at times. Besides, my daughter wanted to see what it was like working on a corporate carrier. She shrugged. It just worked out. We'll probably head back when our contracts are up. Your daughter? I asked. Yeah, my daughter, she said. Pip had finished Jennifer's breakfast by then, and they both sat down with us. Morning, Mom, Jennifer said, and gave Selena a peck on the cheek. Pip must have seen the look on my face. What? You didn't know? Jennifer looked around and asked, What's going on? Selena smiled. I think our Mr. Huang here is getting an education in spacer life. Jennifer turned to me. You're not a spacer. My mom was a lit professor. The Lois is my first ship, I said. Oh, you've got to be kidding, she said, with an incredulous grin. Pip shook his head. No, he's serious. Selena looked up from her plate and said he thought all ships were like the Lois until he saw Pip's aunt and uncle's ship last night. You have family in port, Pip, Jennifer asked. How nice. It wasn't like any kind of, oh my God, it's so amazing nice. It was more like nice haircut nice. Pip grumbled something that sounded like, yeah, well, but he didn't offer anything more. What ship? Jennifer asked. Pip sighed, but answered. Bad penny. Eight-tonner out of Deeb. Oh, cool. One of the unwin aid hulls? Jennifer asked. No, Manchester built Damien. Ooh, she said appreciatively. Fast ship. Is there any more Darbury jam? Pip got up to fetch a fresh pot of jam while Selena continued to be amused over her coffee cup, and Jennifer tucked into her sausage and eggs. 
You've done pretty well for a land rat, Jennifer commented, looking up from her plate. You always wanted to run away to space, she asked with a grin. Actually, I had to get off planet or be deported when my mother died, I said. Oh, I'm sorry, she said contritely. I didn't know. She looked to her mother. My gooey gray matter was still trying to absorb that one, her mother, for support. It's okay, I said. It was a year ago now. It was a shock, but I've had to adapt fast. Selena smiled warmly. You've done very well for yourself, Ishmael, she said. I'm sure she'd be very proud of you. She reached over and patted the back of my hand, and I almost teared up right there at the table. I kept my head down and said thanks into my coffee cup so they wouldn't see. Luckily, Pip came back with a jam then, and we all got distracted. Is everybody aboard a spacer? I asked finally, trying to get back onto some kind of even footing. I think you and Sarah are the only two people aboard who don't come from some kind of spacer family, Selena said. Francis, Pip added. He was a scientist. Okay, and Francis, Selena said. There's, there's probably a few more. You're kidding, I said. She shrugged. Who do you think isn't spacer-born, besides you three? Bev? I asked. Her parents are members of a merchanter co-op running the siren to St. Cloud Loop, I think. Her mother's first mate and her father's systems. Brill? Her father runs the orbital somewhere. I forget which system, but she'll tell you if you ask. Her mother's third mate on one of the system shuttles there. Rebecca Salzman. Are you kidding? Pip asked. What? The Salzmans are one of the oldest trading families in the business. I think they have a fleet almost as big as Federated Freights now, and every single crewman is family, he said. Well, why is she here, then? You never worked for family, have you? He asked with a bitter little smile. The whole crew? Selena shrugged. Well, except for you and Sarah and Francis. There's probably a few more that I don't know about. It's not like I pay that much attention. It's just not that big a deal. Most of us just have some connection in the business. It's how it works. Jennifer asked, If you never wanted to be a spacer, how'd you get here? Jennifer? Selena said in that rising tone, warning. What? She said. I'm just asking. It's okay, I said to Selena. My mother was killed in a flitter crash, and the company was going to deport me because I didn't have enough creds to buy passage off, and I couldn't stay without being an employee, I told Jennifer. I didn't want to be a Marine, so I went to the Union Hall on Neris and waited for a quarter-share berth. Selena said, Somebody must have liked you. I shrugged. The manager said I reminded her of her nephew, and I shot a quick glance at Pip, who was studying the inside of his coffee mug. She helped me pack a duffel, and when the Lois came in and unloaded What's-His-Name last year, I got his slot. And the rest is history, Pip said. I think he was trying to break it up before any more of his family tree got dragged into the story, or the fact that his parents thought he was starting his third year at the Academy. Chapter 25 Nial Orbital, 2352, August 17 Shopping at the flea market is one of the things Bev introduced me to. I still carry that mental image of her in black leather pants and jacket and what looked like an aluminum pullover under it. Today she wore the leathers, she always wore the leathers, but with a pale yellow blouse under it. With her military buzz-cut hairstyle and four kilos of surgical steel piercings, that touch of yellow made her seem as feminine as I've ever seen her. Not that she hadn't looked feminine, there was never any doubt that she was female to the core, but this was nice, too. She was still frightening. She still moved with the dangerous grace and fluidity that was not just for show. I don't think she carried any weaponry. I'd seen her sparring with some of the crew, so I was pretty sure she didn't need to carry any. She smiled at my looking her over. Are you almost done drooling? she asked with a grin. Well, never, I hope, I jibed right back, but let's go shopping. I got a lot of mass to fill. She laughed, and we headed up to level nine in the flea market. Well, what are we looking for, she asked. Wood, textiles, even stone. Umber's water, and I want something land-based or reminiscent of land, I said. 
Whatever it is, it needs to be high quality. Good point, she said. No sense dragging crap from one system to another. I couldn't believe how good it felt to be walking with her again. Just walking. I liked just moving along in her bubble as the people in our path slipped effortlessly to either side, some stopping to look back at her. Of course, walking a step behind gave me an excellent view as well, at least until she looked over her shoulder and said, If you don't stop watching my butt and start looking for goods, this is just going to be a waste of time. Speak for yourself, I teased her, but I stepped up alongside and was pleased when people looked back and forth at us and smiled. The flea market wasn't anything to write home about. Lots of kitschy handcrafts, stencil work on plain canvas, studs and stones and fabric goods, the usual collection of mediocre artwork. Nial was a manufacturing hub specializing in machine parts for the secondary spares market. There wasn't a lot of ancillary contribution to the flea market trade from the fabrication shops on planet. Bev and I must have browsed for over a stand, and I was getting discouraged. You'd think with the forest down below we'd see some kind of wooden toys or something, wouldn't you? I asked her. She shrugged. Not necessarily. A demon stepped in our path suddenly, and I saw a blur of black leather that froze a centimeter from the nose of the mask. The woman wearing the mask likewise froze and gave a little squeak. I didn't blame her. I felt like giving a little squeak myself. I'm so sorry, Bev said, stepping back and dropping her hands to her side. Your mask startled me, and it was just reflex. The woman stripped off her mask and said, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I should know better than to startle people like that. She had a whole booth full of masks, and they were marvelous. Everything from simple, elegant dominoes to faces to animals to abstracts. Some were simply decorative, and others were fully functional. I snapped digitals and flashed them to Pip while we talked to her. She was more than happy to discuss wholesale pricing so long as we were taking them out of the system. Beverly and I both bought several samples just to have. They were wonderful. We confirmed that she'd be around for a few days so we could come back later and arrange for bulk purchase. Oh, I got bundles of them down in my storage cubes, he said. I'd love to unload some of them. Everybody here has seen them, and in this business it always has to be something new. She had a most delightful giggle, and she used it to good effect. Three booths later, we came to the silk carp. The vendor was a tall, slender woman, and she had the carps hung all around her booth. As we walked up to them, I laughed because Bev had no idea what they were. They're like wind socks, I said. You hang them out to catch the wind, and on really windy days they look like they're swimming. Well, there's not a lot of wind on a ship, she pointed out, or on an orbital, for that matter. But there is on the ocean. The woman's name was Estelle, and she created the cart from remnants of cloth that she bought by the bundle. The stitching was lovely, and the colors ranged from monochromatic reds and blues to explosions of orange and black and gold. They ran from only about a meter to three giant ones that were over four meters long. Each came with a sewn-in harness at the mouth and had a short lead with a swivel clip for attaching it to the main flying line. We used to have one of these when I was a kid, I told Bev. I never lived on a planet long enough to really get used to it, she said. That was the first personal piece of information I could remember her offering. We'd lived so much in the right now for the year I'd been aboard that neither past nor future had come into the discussion. Again, I took snaps for Pip, but Estelle wasn't interested in any kind of bulk trade deal. Her entire stock was in the booth. Still, she had a lot of them, even after Bev and I bought a few. I actually considered sticking one to the wall above my bunk just to dress up the space a bit. They were that nice. We found out that she, too, would be around for a couple of days, but needed to leave the orbital and get back down to the surface soon. That was it for that day's flea market. We still had a couple of stands of walking about and looking at things, but of all the stuff we saw, the masks and carp were the two that had the kind of unique quality that I was looking for in trade goods. As we left the sales floor, Bev surprised me by stepping close enough to take me by the arm and walk hip to hip. I wish I could bottle your eye, Ish, she said. Can it or something. You can pick them. No, 
I said, too flustered from the hot leather against my outer thigh to be very cogent. I just look for things that are different. Well, yeah, so do I, but the difference is you find it, she said. I'd have walked right past those carp. I shrugged. Well, I knew what they were, and they're perfect for sale on umber. I wonder if I can get Sarah to bless them, I added idly. Bev laughed, only if you let her sell them. I swear that woman is a selling machine. I laughed with her, and we walked in silence for a while. Are you okay now? I asked her softly, without looking down. Yeah, she said, just as softly. I think so. I was hard there for a while. Buttress was a hard place to be, I admitted. You want to tell me about it? I thought I was going to lose you, she said simply, and without looking. Lose me? I asked. Sometimes I could be so stupid. Yeah, she said. You may remember that you were about that close to being put ashore and left. She held up her thumb and forefinger about a millimeter apart. Well, yeah, I said, but I know, she said, almost bitterly. It was stupid, but I couldn't help myself. She acted like she might want to say more, but she didn't. What will you do if I go to the academy? I asked out of thin air. She stopped and jerked me around by the arm. What? she asked. You're going to the academy? I was a little afraid she was going to hit me. Not the playful slug in the arm, but full in the face. I don't know, I said, but I'm thinking about it at the end of my contract next year. She looked into my eyes really intently. If you apply, you better tell me that very day, she said firmly. I want no surprises like that. Personally, I thought she was being a little, well, I don't know, demanding. Possessive, maybe. Why, what'll you do? I asked and challenged. She grinned a naughty grin, Ned, and said, Book a hotel. You're not getting away without a proper send-off. She took my arm again and hugged it even a little closer than might have been, strictly speaking, proper. And I found I didn't mind at all. Remembering my conversation over breakfast, I asked, Did you know that Selena Mateo was Jennifer Agato's mother? Yeah, she said, Why? I had my view of the universe shifted radically by breakfast this morning, I said. Damn, that must have been some omelet. Was it the mushrooms? she asked, with a devilish little glint in her eye. No, I found out that almost everybody on the ship is from a spacer family of some kind. Oh, you didn't know? she asked. I didn't think there were such things as spacer families, I said. All I have to go on is the lowest for personal experience. We walked in silence for a few more meters. But you knew Pip came from a trader family, she said. True, I said, but it was some kind of abstract idea of trader family until I met his aunt and uncle and saw their ship. Oh, that must have been something to see, she laughed. You on an indie? What's that supposed to mean, I asked. Just that I'd have liked to seen your face when you walked into the living room. It was my turn to stop and turn her to face me. Do they all have living rooms? No, she laughed. Some of them are more like the lowest, but if you changed your mind about your picture of trader families, you must have felt like you were stepping into some kind of dreamscape off the dock and into the living room, right? How's you know? That's the most common small ship configuration. If you're docked, you don't want to have to go far to answer the front doorbell should anybody come to call. Did you see the bridge? she asked. No, I didn't get past the living room. Usually it's outfitted like some kind of den. It's where the family spends most of its time underway. Of course, the smaller ships have a lot less time underway, too. She looked up at me then and asked, So, is that why you're thinking of going to the academy? Going to start your own space or family? The way she said it made me chuckle. I didn't even know what that meant until last night. The Catherine and Mr. Von Nichols have been trying to convince me to go for the last three months. Really? she asked. How did the captain get involved? I'm not sure, I told her. We were talking about the possibility of my having to leave the Lois, and she asked if I'd considered going to the Academy, and just kind of went from there. So you're thinking about it or not, she pressed. Well, I told the captain I wanted to stay with the Lois and at least work my contract out. It'll be up this time next August, and if I still like being in space and I think I like to continue, I'll consider going to the Academy.
So what's the hang-up, she asked. You don't think you want to continue being a spacer? No, actually, at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else, but I've got about 60,000 reasons why I can't go. 60,000? Gah, she said. I had no idea it was that expensive. Tuition alone is 40, and it just goes up from there. She nodded and hugged my arm again. I didn't feel the need to talk a lot more after that. She didn't let go until we got onto the lift. So you come from a spacer family, too, I asked. Hell yeah, grew up on a Murchie co-op. I left to get some seasoning, and I haven't gone back yet. Someday, maybe, she said. I just sighed and shook my head. What? It's just, I never realized how close the community is, I said. You almost have to be born into it. Or luck into it, like you and Sarah. Yeah, she said, but it's not that much different from any specialized trade. Doctors tend to breed doctors. Teachers tend to breed teachers. You probably would have been a professor if you'd had a chance. I appreciated that she didn't say if your mother had lived. The lift opened and we headed across the cold docks heading for the ship. Thanks for going with me, Bev, I told her. I really needed to touch base with you. Any time, boy toy, she teased me. But she was absolutely serious as she keyed the lock open and said, And I needed you to touch base. Thanks, Ish. Chapter 26 Nile Orbital, 2352, August 17 On watch, I couldn't concentrate on the logs. I really needed to extract the data for the systems that restarted normally and add a new layer to my graphic, but my whole image of the lonely spacer tragically bereft of hearth and home had been ripped away from me in that one day. Selena noted my distress, I guess, because she asked, Are you okay-ish? I turned in my chair so I could face where she sat at her console. It's just been such a weird day. Last night, meeting Pip's aunt and uncle and seeing the living room set up just inside the lock, finding out that you were married and you had a daughter with you here, discovering that I'm much more of an outsider than I ever thought. I sighed. I guess I'm having trouble adjusting to the idea that spacers have real lives like anybody else. I had this idea of spacer bar, love them and leave them and don't screw with the crew, so ingrained in my head now that I'm feeling like I don't really understand a thing. Well, that's a start, she said with a smile. You can't possibly understand what it means to somebody like, say, Pip, to be a spacer when his father and his mother and his grandparents and their parents were all spacers, but you also need to figure out a way that you not knowing is actually okay. I had to process that for a few ticks. I think that actually helped, I said finally. Oh, she said, in what way? Well, you made me realize something that I knew but never really grasped before. For all of you, it's a connection to your past, to your heritage. Yes, she said, exactly. One of the problems I'm having is that I didn't have that kind of connection to heritage. Any heritage. Even before I came out here. It was me and my mother. She was a teacher. I have a vague recollection of my father, but I haven't seen him or heard from him in 15 stanyards. I never even knew who my grandparents were, let alone what they might have done. I'm an only child, so I don't know any of this sibling stuff and how it works. Hell, I never had a best friend until I came aboard the Lois. Well, you poor thing, no wonder you're so lost, she said. Is there anything I can do to help? I think you just did, I said. I need to think on it, but thanks. I turned back to my console then, and I was able to concentrate. By the time the watch was over, I had all the data extracted and had a first cut on the reconstruction to show Mr. Von Nichols. I sent a copy to Mr. Kelly as well, and then Selene and I headed out to the mess deck. It still caught me a little bit sideways to think that she was hurrying down to have breakfast with her daughter, but the longer I thought about it, the more I liked it. I remembered one of Mom's old stories about a sailor who wound up in a foreign land and slowly came to love and respect the people of his new land, even more than those of his homeland. He'd had to learn a new language and new ways of thinking, but eventually he figured it out and started to really enjoy 
Unfortunately, he was killed by somebody in the end because he was too happy or successful or something. Except for that last bit about being killed, I sort of had the feeling of what he must have felt like as he came to realize the full depth and scope of his adopted culture. I wasn't sure what word to put on it. Hope, maybe. All through breakfast, I watched Selena and Jennifer, and once you knew it was obvious, or perhaps it always had been obvious, and I was just too wrapped up in myself to notice. Or, most likely, they'd been on the other side of the watchstand or merry-go-round, and I never had a chance to notice at all. One thing for sure, after slogging through data for twelve hours, I needed a little quality time with my bunk and blankie, and as soon as I finished my breakfast, I headed there. Something woke me suddenly, and I almost sat up, I was so startled. Not a good thing to do in a lower bunk, so I was just as glad I suppressed the urge. I'm not sure what it was. Sound, dream, vibration in the ship, I never did find out. Maybe Lois just thinks you should get up, I told myself with a little grin. The chrono said 15.20, and I wondered idly how Pip was making out of the flea. I didn't have anywhere I needed to be, so I just lay back down and stared at the overhead there in the quiet of the afternoon. I thought I could hear the low murmuring of Sean, Sarah, and Tabitha down at the other end of the birthing area. They were the main members of the co-ed crochet team and had some project going on that they were excited about. I lay there and thought about Aunt P and Uncle Q. I didn't think of life on the lowest as particularly regimented, but compared to the penny, we were practically military. I wondered what it would be like to sail in your living room. I must have fallen back asleep at some point, because I woke from a dream of sitting in an easy chair on the bridge of some ship in an old-fashioned spoke ship's wheel. Bev was there with her leathers on, but she didn't have a blouse on under the jacket, which I enjoyed a great deal, and she was saying, you're going to sleep away your last night in port-ish? But of course that was wrong, because Bev was actually there in birthing, standing over my bunk, saying, you're going to sleep away your last night in port-ish? She was already in her leathers, and I was slightly disappointed that she had a blouse on under the jacket. It took me a while to get my eyes blinked open. No, I said finally. What time is it? Just coming up on 1900, she told me. What do you think? You want to go out hunting? Sure. Just let me grab a quick shower and I'll put on my civvies. She grinned at me. Quarter stand, main lock, she said, and she left. Pip was just coming out of the sand as I was going in. He was getting ready, too, and apparently we were going as a group, and I wondered who else was going. Did you buy anything, I asked? Yep. We got close to 50 kilos and stuff. Shower now, talk later. And he started pulling clothes out of his locker while I headed for the shower stall with my jeans and briefs in hand. Ten ticks later, Pip and I were headed for the lock on our last night in Nile. Diane, Brill, Bev, and Francis were waiting, and they were having one of those, I don't know, what do you want to do, discussions. We checked out with Roan and headed out into the cold docks. In spite of what Bev had said, nobody looked like they were on the hunt tonight. Maybe they'd gotten out of their systems earlier in the stay, or maybe, like me, they just weren't in the mood for it. We hit the lift and punched O2 by default, but as we were headed down, I said, Okay, meat market or something else? Pip looked at me oddly, but he sighed and raised his hand. Something else, he said. One by one, they all raised their hands. Something else. Brill looked relieved. Francis just looked tired, and I wondered what he'd been up to in port. When we got down to the O2, I took him to Shaughnessy's. While it was still early ship time, station time here was a bit ahead, so Shaughnessy's was in full swing, or as full as the quiet pub got. There was some music coming from somewhere, but all I could tell was that it was music. It was busy, but far from full, and we had no problem pulling a couple of tables together so we could sit in a group. I ordered some finger foods to go with the beer because I'd missed lunch and dinner and didn't want to drink on an empty stomach, and we settled down and began a quiet evening of talk. Francis turned out to be quite amusing in his own way. Having known more than my share of PhDs, he was probably funnier to me than the rest of the group, but he acted as a kind of bridge for me between my old life and my new. We'd been there about a stand and were working on our second round when Pip stiffened and I heard a woman's voice say, Hello, can we join you? Pip was a little tangled on the back of the table, so I stood and introduced Aunt P and Uncle Q around. 
I enjoyed Pip's discomfort way more than I should have, but if we'd seemed like family before, having actual family at the table just enhanced the perception. They started telling stories of spacer life and kids. Penny and Quentin didn't embarrass Pip by talking about his childhood, but about Roger and Pip's siblings. Diane told about how the kids on her co-op ship used to sneak into the lifeboats to neck until the holotapes of the makeout sessions were played during the evening meal. Even Brill, normally a bit of a wallflower, had some funny stories about the conflicts and lifestyle between station manager father and spacer mom. I just absorbed it, thinking about what their stories might mean to them. Eventually the table talk fragmented, and we found ourselves in quiet conversations in smaller groups in different corners of the table. I found myself talking about the Academy to Francis and suggested that the Academy should probably have a Ph.D. astrophysicist on the faculty. Of course, by then we'd been through a lot of beer, and I was probably a tad less responsible than I should have been. Through it all, Beverly sat beside me, Brill beside her. Diane had collected Pip, Quentin, and Penny on the other end of the table. I could see Pip was beginning to appreciate Diane for more than her cleavage. She saw me looking and winked at me. It was a good group. After only five beers, I loved them all. I laughed at myself and checked the time on my tablet. It had just gone past midnight. I stood then and everybody looked at me. You guys stay if you want, but I've got morning watch and I need a little sleep before I have to go to work. So I bid you all good night. They all stood with me. A few drained glasses and others just left them sit, half empty. We all sauntered slowly back to the lift, through the throngs of spacers on the prowl and a few who'd already connected. The lift took us up to the docks where we bid Penny and Quentin good night and a safe voyage before splitting up and heading for the Lois where they went back to the Penny. Aunt P gave me a small hug and a motherly peck on the cheek before they left. Lovely woman, Penny Carstairs. We walked along, semi-huddled against the cold, and I found myself holding one of Brill's arms while Beverly held the other. Francis was leading the way, waving his arms like a drum major, while Diane was cuddled up with Pip behind us. I don't know who was more surprised, Diane or Pip, but Brill smiled when she saw it, and I'm pretty sure I did too. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.org golden.